Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast interview. This is Roy Aven. You know, I've had the opportunity to speak with Stephen Wilson a number of times over the last few years, and each time is always interesting and insightful. He was down in Florida doing a series of shows all across the state and did two nights in Fort Lauderdale. I had the opportunity to sit down with him and just talk about what is going on in his career and what might be in store in the future. And here's that chat. So I'll start quick. I mean, you've done a, a thousand of these uh, interviews. You do. Uh, are you still doing them at like every stop? Is it part of just the set routine? Are you still comfortable with this now, or you wish they would end? I suppose. Is this, is this your first question? <laughs> uh, I mean, listen. I'm. I'm. First, I have to do them. Yeah. I have to do them because um, I'm still not in a position where I can rely on the sales tickets or records to come without me having to work really hard to achieve them it's it's um it's one of the prices for playing a kind of music whatever you call it that is not accepted in the mainstream yeah. and i'm not suggesting by the way that there aren't people in the mainstream that still have to to do all the sure. commercials of two but there are certainly some artists that can that can you know, basically rely purely on the, the sort of momentum of their career to sell the records and the tickets. I don't expect Bob Dylan has to do many interviews, for example, right. or Kate Bush, you know, but someone like me, I still have to do this. And and the second part of the answer to your question is, I like, I like talking about music. I like talking about um, all the things that are peripheral to the music, the, whether it's movies or literature or, you know, the state of the world, whatever it is. I mean, I like talking. You can tell I like talking. But I would say that the interviews that are really interesting and engaging for me are the minority. You know, maybe one out of every five is really interesting for me. And the other four are uh, not terrible, but just process, you know. Well, it's hard. Even for myself, I'm thinking, okay, well, what can I ask him that? either I haven't asked him already or what he hasn't been asked already right. and how to make that worth you know, his time more than, more and I than un- anything. And I understand if I'm being interviewed as I was the other day by a, a, a daily newspaper in Portugal, they're not going to want to go into deep, the deep recesses of my you know, philosophy of music. They just want a sort of puff piece on, yeah. are you looking forward to coming to Portugal? Tell us about your new record. What can we expect from the show? So. And I don't begrudge that they're asking me that because that's right. the information that needs to be put across. But that stuff is 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 work. That's that's process. You know, that's yeah. not necessarily particularly creative or fun for me. So the answer to your question is: Do I still enjoy it? I enjoy some of it. Um, the other stuff is is part of what I accept as my job, and I don't dislike it. Except when I'm really t- like anybody. You know, when you're really yeah. tired, you run down, and you don't, you just you're not in the mood. There are times when you have to do things when you're not in the mood, but that's like anybody's job. Yeah, right. Yeah, like going and sitting with the boss at a meeting if you're at a yeah, at or teaching job or, or teaching a class full of kids when you just sure. you've got a hangover, whatever it is. You know, there are times when everyone doesn't feel like doing their job. So a couple of things I am I am interested in, uh, uh, in particular with the last album because when it first came out, of course there was the the hardcore people that are scared. Oh no, what if he's gone pop or whatever? You know the people were saying and clearly that didn't end up being the, entirely the case but are you sensing because I saw the one of the New York shows that you did uh, earlier this year and 
seemed to go down great. I mean, permeating all, all the stuff seemed to really go down well. Are you sensing that maybe over time that reluctance maybe or concern sort of has, has gone away? All, all the, the all of the most successful records I've made in my career, and I've made a lot of records, all of the most successful records I've made a career, in my career are the ones that initially horrified the core fan base. <laughs> I remember when In Absentia came out, I lost a lot of fans because they didn't like the metal direction. Right. It's since gone on to be probably the most famous, successful Porcupine Tree album. I think there is something, if I could flip it around, I could say this, and I do believe this is true, the more divisive an album it is, the more divisive an album is when it's first released, the more I feel like I've probably done what I set, set out to achieve, which is to not simply cater for the expectations of the audience. And on top of that, not to kind of step away from this idea of being a generic artist. Yeah. And I have no interest in being a generic artist. I know no, your book is a progressive rock and all that, and I, that's the word I hear the most. I never said I was a progressive rock artist. I've made rec I've made ambient records, metal records, singer-songwriter records. I've made a lot of different kinds of records, but still I'm known primarily as a quote-unquote progressive rock artist. To me, the idea of being generic is slightly anathema. I, I would rather be seen as someone that created their own musical universe because that's what most of, of my idols did. Yeah. Neil Young, Kate Bush, Frank Zappa, David Bowie, Prince. They're kind of di they're, they're difficult artists to categorise. You know, what kind of music did David Bowie play? Well, every kind of music. Right. Uh, and I think that that is what ultimately I would like to be, not that I'm putting myself on the level of those great artists, but in my own little way, I'd like to be seen as an artist who stepped out of the realms of being generic. So if you do that, and I think this is what David Bowie found right through his career, every time you make a new record, you change direction. Obviously, that's not going to be the record that people, the people that loved your last record necessarily want or expect. To me, that's a badge of honor. That's like, okay, I've done the right thing. I've changed and I've confronted the expectations of my audience and some of them are not liking it, right. but that's okay because that's part of the deal. It's almost training them after a while. And well, now they've gone, now they're, they don't know what you're going to do next. And they, well, they're looking well, forward to that. Partly. I think there, there's certainly a part of my fan base now that expects the unexpected. And I don't want to patronize the other part of the fan base because it's their thing. The part of my fan base that only likes vanilla progressive rock and probably thought The Raven That Refused to Sing was my best album, that's great. I'm really happy. But that's not. That's, I'm not the kind of person who's just going to keep making records like that to please those people. Yeah. So, but I think you're right. I think there's an element of my fan base that now almost, have, I don't want to say trained, that's quite a patronizing word, but they're almost conditioned now to expect me to do different things. And even if, even if, they don't, if they're not like, well, you know, quite convinced the first time they hear it, like, I'm not sure about this, I think they at least respect me enough as an artist to know that they should give it a chance. As a, as a fan of some of the artists that you are talking about, maybe in your young, you know, youth or younger days, or were you ever disappointed totally. in an album? Yeah, totally. And very often those would end up being my favorite albums. Yeah. And the, so the disappointment is like, the disappointment is not, this is a poor record. I mean, sometimes it was, but, but there are very often occasions where it wasn't, the disappointment wasn't, this is a poor record. It's the disappointment, this is not the record I expected or wanted. But 
that doesn't mean it's a bad record and that doesn't mean it's a record that won't ultimately appeal to you just as much as the ones you you know you like before and i had that many times and i and i learned to love that and of course i grew up in the era where you had no you had no expectation because you you would go to the record store on the day the record came out and you knew nothing about the record right. you didn't you hadn't had the three internet previews or grat tracks you hadn't had the album leaking six months before it came out so it really was take the record home put it on your turntable i don't know what to expect i have no concept and that i miss that obviously that kind of shock of the new uh, i remember having that with you know definitely with bowie uh, you never knew what was going to come neil young you never knew what was going to come next prince to an extent you never knew what was going to come next i kind of miss that because the, the kind of surprise element is largely gone now and sorry this is a very long answer to your question but the last thing I want to say is that of course the internet has changed everything because now people are able to judge and express an opinion based not on hearing a single song sometimes hearing 30 seconds of a single song yeah and it's so easy to change right away and just go back to something you liked you're familiar with also Yeah. Also, the whole of the history of music is easily available to us now. Why should we even bother to engage with new music? Why should we bother to give an artist like Stephen Wilson the benefit down and listen to his album four times before we make up our mind? Because we can make up our mind from 30 seconds of a YouTube clip. That'll do, and then I can go back to my Led Zeppelin records, or whatever. And and that that obviously is an issue. That's an issue I, I face myself. You know, the, being able to engage with things in the way I did when I was a kid is much harder. I have to be given a very good reason to do that because of the proliferation of, of new music and new old music, music I'd never discovered before from the past. I'm still discovering stuff. Yeah. So with all that stuff available to you, why why should you engage with Stephen Wilson's new record five, six times before you make up your mind? And I understand that. And so, but to come back to your original point, I think you're right. I think ultimately this album is now being seen as part of my, my body of work and it's a different record in the catalogue. And I think most people appreciate that. Yeah. So, is is the next album already in the works? Where, where, where are you now with this? I always wonder if you're the type that maybe looks at where you are right now. Take take the DVD for example, Home Invasion. As a fan, I almost watched that and I was like, I was almost proud, having been a fan of 20 or some odd years of your music personally, saying. Oh, Man, good for him. Look at this. This is amazing. You know, the sound, the video, the whole thing, the body of work, all the different eras that, that you threw in there. Like, this is unbelievable, you know? Almost like a, a culmination. Do you see that as that, where you could take a few years off and do movie scores or do something else? Or is it there's still this, you know, I don't know, driving you to like, no, I gotta, I gotta beat to the bone. I gotta do the next one. I mean, I am very motivated person. I am working on a new record already, but it's interesting because there are many ways to answer your question. And I think what I would say is this. I think your intuition that home invasion is kind of the culmination of something is correct. I can't see how I could take this kind of approach much further, at least not within the confines of my size of my audience. Um, So I'm pretty much, in some ways I've been, I've been um, punching above my weight for a long time in the sense of the kind of show I've been putting on is much bigger 
than the kind of venues I'm playing and the ticket sales I can achieve. No, I don't do badly, don't get me wrong, I don't do, but Three Nights at the Albert Hall is amazing. Yeah. But Three Nights at the Albert Hall was an exception in the tour. You know, the rest of, a lot of the rest of the tour was more modest, you know. Okay, there were some other shows like that, but there are also shows, played in Pensacola a few nights ago, 200 people came, you know. I'm putting on a show that, you know, you cannot possibly put that show on and no. justify playing with 200 people. And okay, that was the real <laughs> exception right. to the role. But that's the, that's the weird market to, for you to be playing. Apparently, play. fair yeah. enough. And I'm not about to go back in a hurry, you know. But <laughs> but you you take my th those are the two extremes. So playing the Albert Hall or the Heineken Music Hall, the Pensacola, those are the two extremes. Most of the shows are somewhere in the middle. So I'm playing to a thousand people a night. The show really is is financially speaking, it's way above what I can really afford to do, based on my my audience. I'm the guy that comes back from tour losing money, and I've been doing that for years, and it's fine because I've been, you know, subsidizing my career in other ways, and it's not about making money anyway for me. So I'm happy to do that, but I feel like the Home, of, home Evasion, the To The Bone Tour, this is kind of as far as I can take this, unless I suddenly have a massive breakthrough, this is kind of as far as I can take this. So now I'm thinking to myself, you mentioned film soundtracks, I'm, I'm hoping to work on a film soundtrack next year. Um, doing an album that's completely different again, not that To The Bone wasn't completely different to the ones that preceded it, but again, something different, um, perhaps something a little bit less in the rock vein, something again that will probably upset my hardcore fans, <laughs> you know. Um, but at, at my age, you know, having achieved what, I, what I've achieved, really the only thing that motivates me now is exciting myself about something. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's, always been the case to be fair so I don't the, the simple answer question is I don't know exactly where I'm going now but I have an intuition that probably the next cycle will be something quite substantially perhaps even more different than this cycle was to the previous cycle the next cycle will be something even more different again yeah there's a there's a trend in largely in Prague but it's, it's the music a lot too with like the the super group idea where you you know there's a lot of these now coming up. Every other day, there's another one. Is that something that you've ever been approached about? Of course, yeah. No, by some of the usual suspects that always end up in these groups. <laughs> right. And that's never been. No, it's revolting. It's absolutely revolting concept. Has there ever been a supergroup that was any good? The point. Debatable. Yeah. The, the point. LP may be considered a supergroup, right? That's I, one of the. Like, the okay. First I, okay. Stretching the it's definition true, a bit. Right, there, yeah. yeah. I think the point is that just putting together great musicians doesn't create good music. Sure. Oh, sometimes they're terrible. Yeah. Sometimes they're terrible, and there is such a thing as chemistry, and there is also something very important here, which is most of the great groups in history as far as I can tell, most of the great bands in history, and I'm talking about solo bands too, bands that were in the name of individuals, had someone who was kind of a dictator in that lineup. Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, The Who, Pete Townsend, right. The Beatles, Paul McCartney. Okay, it's debatable there whether it was enough, you know, but, but what I'm saying to you is I think most bands that have a chemistry and produce great work ultimately have one captain of the ship. You cannot put four egos in a room and expect them to make good music. That's my that's my belief, and I and I think pretty history pretty much bears me out on that, with the possible exception of the the example you came up with. Yeah, I'm not interested. I'm not really interested. I mean, 
having said that, I did I did a, a collaboration album with Michael. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it was very successful. And it, you know, musically for us, anyway, it was very successful. Um, partly, I think, because we decided to do something completely different to what anybody expected us to do. Uh, and I think that was the secret of why that kind of worked out. We were both doing things that we hadn't done separately, individually, or in, in the context of our groups. We did something completely different. and kind of egged each other on to be even more experimental. And, and um, that, I guess that's kind of a, it's a super duo, if not a super, <laughs> super group. But the idea of having three or more, more people that are established, in a, I can't really think of a single example when it's... It's produced anything worthwhile. <laughs> no, I know. I, I figured that's where you're knowing knowing stuff that you've talked about. I was just curious your, yeah. your thoughts on something like that. Streaming. We've talked about that before. There's sort of a, a seemingly a trend from labels where they they've embraced streaming a hundred percent, even more so to the point where it seems like maybe they'd rather do away with physical altogether. It's sort of a mm. necessary evil they still have to live with. Mm. But if, if a record company said to you, look, here's the here's the numbers, you know, your streaming is way up and mm. physical costs this, we don't think it's worth it for the next album. What what about no, no actual physical things? You being an artist that is big hmm. on the packaging and the whole thing, hmm. is that unimaginable to you? Yeah. 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 And I think that it, you, the, something you also have to take into consideration here is it depends on the kind of music you play. And obviously, I've been, I've, I've talked about trying to distance myself from the idea of genre, but clearly, I am an artist with an audience. That's a lot that keeps you in that genre, yeah. by the way, right? That whole idea. Yeah, a ro an audience for. Ro I'm still clearly a rock musician. Yeah. At least today, I am anyway. <laughs> um, and the ro I think if you were talking to me and I was a hip hop artist, it'd be a different answer. Because I think the, the world of hip-hop physical product is, is largely irrelevant now. But it never was particularly relevant in the first place, in the sense that hip-hop artists never were particularly excited about the, the possibilities of physical products. They didn't do the big gatefold sleeves and the elaborate sort of novelty stuff. Right. But clearly rock musicians have always been. There's always been a very strong connection right from the late 60s, perhaps even before that, between the, work, the art schools and, music, and rock bands. You know, so you had bands like Pink Floyd coming from, you know, the sort of art school background, Sid Barrett being an artist, you know. And then you had people like David Bowie, who were like into theatre and mime and stuff, coming into music. So there was always this interest in um, the arts as an overall thing. And so that kind of manifested itself in the way... Right. And we these can artists, do this also with the music. You can't say that's true of the world of hip-hop music or yeah. R&B music. So I think that... It would be very surprising to me. And by the way, I still sell more physical product than, than... I mean, my streaming figures are going up and up all the time, but my physical product sales still far outweigh that. Now, I understand that's changing on a, on a yearly basis, that there will come a point where the, the scales will tip in the other direction. But right now, there's still a big market for me. You know, to the bone, over 100,000 copies in physical form. That's amazing. To the industry nowadays, that's amazing. That makes them all, that makes all the record companies want to sign me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I'm aware of that because yeah. most of their artists just don't have those kind of figures. But my fans, they still love that. They still love that tactile experience of holding yeah. a record in their hands. Sure. The special editions, the blue, the audio files, the Blu-ray, the 5.1. That's all a big thing for me. I don't think that's going to change in the next much in the next ten years. 
maybe after that, by which time I won't care because I'll be too old and wretched <laughs> anyway. But I think after that, the, the audience, I mean, let's, without being brutally, you know, frank about it, the audience for that are dying off. Right, it's older, sure. Yeah, there are, there are some young kids that are getting into vinyl, but a lot of the people that still buy CDs and special editions are in their 50s, 60s and older. They will die off over the next 30, 40 years. So there will come a point where physical products is really hard to sell. But vinyl seems to be here to stay now because the kids love it. The kids great. Love it. No, I think, uh, you know, the way they've reinvented vinyl also with the different special editions, the colored vinyls yeah. and all that makes it exciting, makes it something cool to own. Yeah. And maybe you don't buy 15 or 20 of them a year. You, you buy the four or five ones that you really like that year. But right. Hey, that's... I buy 15 or 20 a week. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm funny that You're way. Another... Yeah. And I know a few people like that. But, sure. but yeah, we are obviously we're the exceptions. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, man. Look, uh, <coughs> thank you again for... Look, you coming down here and even doing two shows here was, is really appreciated by the, the, the fans here that you do have and we we're thrilled that you keep coming back and uh, well, we had a great show here. we doing. had a great show here last time I think it was right at the end of the tour if I remember rightly last time we had a great show we had good memories of here not begin, not going to be going back to Pensacola anytime soon <laughs> but yeah I mean probably yeah this, this seems to be yeah, like a stop you know on. what it's 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 never going to be uh, Royal Albert Hall down here for, for rock music but it's it's shifting we're getting more shows. We're getting more metal right. shows. Some more stuff. There's, there's a good sort of prog metal show with this younger band Haken that you may have heard of. Came was here, heard of them. Yeah. played here a month ago. I mean that was unheard of a few years ago. So, well, you know, good, good, I'll keep you. riding the bus while I can. Yeah, <laughs> while it's still going. Yeah. Thank you, man. That's it. Cool. Yeah. No worries, man. No worries. Well, thank you very much for this. Thanks to Stephen for the interview. Don't forget to pick up his new live DVD CD Blu-ray collection, Home Invasion, live at the Royal Albert Hall. And as always, for upcoming news and interviews, please check theparkreport.com, follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter, or download the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, or follow us on YouTube. Thanks. Thanks.